0: Ryan, are
1: you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world.
0: Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sacks Show. I'm Michael Sacks in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you're in Portland, Oregon. Ryan, it's Tuesday night, 830 on the West Coast. It is, what's the date? February 11th? Yeah, February that, the 11th. That's correct. Yeah. 2020, we are officially in the slowest sports time of the whole year, and I'm feeling it. How are you feeling?
1: Um uh, yeah, I'm also feeling it. It is uh you know, I'm personally feeling good this week, but mm-hmm. uh yeah, we are in a little bit of a lull we'll We'll get to that in a bit, but otherwise, all is well up in the northwest,
0: yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, you just recently celebrated a birthday, happy birthday, and thank you very that's much, sort of the centerpiece of your good of the week,
1: yeah, so my wife threw me a uh murder mystery birthday party, uh-huh. and it was actually something that we had. Uh, it wasn't like – my birthday was the occasion for it, but it wasn't like you – know, the birthday wasn't part of the, the murder mystery. It was just an excuse to get everyone together. Uh-huh. And uh, it was something we've actually talked about for a while, thinking it would be something to be fun to do with a group of friends where where people take it not seriously, but there's a little more to it than just playing Clue. You know, you're, you actually – you get a, like an online package and you get assigned roles and there's things you need to know about your character and then throughout the night there's people you have to talk to and a murder occurs and then you try to figure out who had motive and you talk to the other characters and um, and so there's a there's a whole world online of uh, of these murder mystery games all sorts of different themes and and there were many many to choose from and after reading a few of them off uh, Kim, my wife, gave me the choice, and we settled on uh, one that was called "The Trailer Park Tragedy," mm-hmm. and it was a mur- murder mystery set at a uh, an annual trailer park barbecue in Arkansas. And uh, and so <laughs> everyone got got assigned characters. I was uh, a parolee named Wyatt Barley. It yeah. was uh, very it,
0: Arkansas name.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and it was a really good time. What what made it really fun is that everyone. Um. Really, like, tried to try to dress it in character. There were so. Can I was, stop you? Know, you?
0: That I, that was sure. my main question. Do you get your character ahead of time? I guess so. You can yes. costume it up.
1: Yeah, like a okay. month ahead of time. Oh, a um, whole month. Like, well, I mean, it really. Whenever you purchase this pack, you just get all this information, and uh, and so you assign characters. You send people their little, almost their like profile, and uh, and then upon getting to the party. Each character is given an envelope with their name on it. In in that envelope there was a little bit of like monopoly money that you can use to bribe people for information and favors um, and you, and then also a list of objectives things you're supposed to find out um, in the first phase of the party. And so, and the cool thing too is uh, my wife didn't really even have to be in on it. She was just one of the characters, and, and she was able to administer it. Um, but she didn't have to know who had done it and who the victim was going to be. And, I see. And, and so stuff there's like that option
0: so. so that the person who sort of spearheads the whole thing can also participate.
1: Exactly. Right. So it was – Bottom line, it was it was just it was a really unique uh, thing to do with friends that I had never done before, and I, I'd kind of heard of people doing before, and it always seemed like a fun idea. But I think the biggest thing is you just give people enough time. Um, it's not something that you're you know, asking on a Tuesday. You want to come over on Saturday and do this, but you actually give people time to um, get to know their character and find a wardrobe. And then on top of it, my wife just had all these like incredibly creative uh, kind of themed ideas. So the main, we, we did it at like six 30 on Saturday night. And, and so dinner was going to be served. She made like pigs in a blanket and, uh, in, in like croissant, they were like little smokies and croissants. They were outstanding. Mm-hmm. And then she had a crock pot of chili and she bought like, I don't know, 24 bags, like small bags of Fritos, like the kind you'd get in bulk to stock a convenience store with. Yeah. And then – and he basically opened up the bag of Fritos and just dumped the chili right in with yeah. whatever other chili I've fix. done that so before. We, so we she, – she had that like little uh, chili station set up with cheese and onions and you know, salsa and all that stuff. Yeah, and then um, you stick
0: it in the microwave if you want and it all kind of melts. If through. you want to
1: melt it, yep. Have yep, you yep, never yep, done exactly. that before? Uh, I had seen it done before. I hadn't, and I would actually, when, funny enough, when I was uh, at a bar outside of Wrigley, I had something similar, but that was with a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos and like pulled chicken. So it was like a, yeah. a, a chicken taco in a bag kind of deal. Same, same concept And I've seen Frito pies before, Yeah, uh, but I, I'd never actually done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're but pretty then, good. You know, there were Twinkies and Ding Dongs she had out for So for really, desserts. really
0: dove into the Arkansas trailer park theme.
1: And then downstairs, she had a bingo hall set up, so she told everyone to bring bring cash, mm-hmm. and we played bingo for cash. Um, and then she set up set up beer pong in the garage too. So it was a uh, sounds like a it was hell a real of a party, a real down home time. it, it was yeah. it was just a, a fun way to spend a party. And and now we're we're thinking about okay, like if we want to do this again in six months, what theme should we choose now? And uh, well, who is definitely won't be the last time we do it. The murderer was. Uh, the character who was who was supposed to be my character's mother, and basically I had been wrongfully imprisoned because I was. Uh... My character was selling drugs out of the, the bargain mark pharmacy that he worked at mm-hmm. and got framed by one of his coworkers. And the, the victim was the coworker who'd framed me. And uh, my mother wanted to put her away or put her underground. And so she did. And of the 17 people at the party, no one guessed who the murderer was. So wow. it was like, and, and it wasn't for the game not like adding up. They just, they had really nuanced clues and there were a lot of people with motives and so there were kind of two or three other main people that most of the group thought had done it and uh, and none of them had and someone who was a little bit of a, a dark horse but made perfect sense once you put it all together was the murderer so it was uh, it, it was it was from a just an execution standpoint and like the company that we got it from was was really well kind of put together it was very detailed it even came with like props and little wanted posters and, uh, and you know, all, all the, all this information and cards and, uh, stuff to kind of allow you to, to, to throw this kind of party.
0: Sounds like something my wife would really enjoy. I think I would have a hard time taking it
1: seriously, but and, and, and it's mostly people messing around. Like yeah. every people were getting pretty drunk and, yeah. you know, two there was one character who the the backstory was that he had been accidentally shot by another character while they were drinking and taking target practice, mm-hmm. but the guy who'd been shot thought it was maybe on purpose. And at some point during the party, you know, the dude pull, pulls a gun and puts it to his throat, like an orange cap gun, and um, and it you know, caused this big ruckus. And that wasn't even supposed to be part of it, but it's mostly people messing around and uh, pretending to be someone else for the night.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like. Honestly, I'm having a hard, a little bit of a hard time kind of picturing exactly how it would all work out, but Mm -hmm. I could see it being a really good time. It sounds like you had all the all the ingredients, and you know, I think the costume part of it is probably would be the big ticket item for me um, in terms of my excitement for it. You know, I think I would get into the costume aspect of it. Yeah. I was going to do it and
1: And but, we were kind of trying to choose one too that that would be easy to assemble cuz there were a bunch of them that were like Gatsby themed or black tie themed right. um and that's all fine and good but then you either have to own a tux or rent a tux and like you know you don't want to make people go through that so you know you can do kind of tropical island 80s Miami Vice theme or you can do uh you know a uh, studio 54 disco theme or whatever there there's a bunch of different oh, ones sure. that are fun to go raid goodwill for mm-hmm. and uh and and put together a little ensemble
0: interesting cottage industry by the way i mean i can just picture yeah. five or six guys and girls just sitting around that work for one of these companies just trying to come up with different plot lines and whatnot. What a and weird job! And profiles and
1: themes, yeah, very odd. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're writing a choose-your own adventure novel or something like that, but for a party.
0: Yeah, but j- just from a, a business perspective,
1: I know it's it, yeah, yeah, strange as a as that, to think <laughs> yeah. that that's somebody's j- entire job. Incredible.
0: Um. Okay. Cool. Well. Good. Good of the week. It sounds awesome. And uh, you know, I haven't had one of those things where you put the chili in the bag of Fritos or Doritos or whatever it is, and then you microwave it. Uh, those are good, though. I think I'm in line for one of those here again before too long. And I'm really thinking out loud here. I think my kids would really like that. Um, so a good, good, because we've been making, uh, I've been using the Instant Pot a lot more lately, and I've been experimenting with various different types of chilies. And the kids don't always love the chili, but it's, you know, you give them a chip. To dip in there, and all of a sudden, it's it's transformed for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm thinking yeah. the Fritos might be a good way to go in that department as well. But uh, nice, yeah, I'm going to give that. A yeah, little... I
1: haven't been using the Instant Pot a ton recently, but I am going to use it tomorrow night. I actually I lost a bet to my wife, and uh-huh. uh, I'm cook I'm cooking dinner tomorrow night. I'm going to try to make a Korean chicken dish in the Instant Pot.
0: All right, cool. Uh, I mean, there's so many. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've gotten into Pinterest lately, uh, exclusively Mm -hmm. for their recipes, and there are a lot Mm -hmm. of, well, a lot of recipes in general, but specifically a ton of different Instant Pot recipes, and I made one, uh, I made like a vegetarian chili on Sunday, it was quite good. Nice. Yeah. I digress. So good, good, good of the week. Um, My good of the week, and quite honestly, uh, I'm not, my heart's not fully in this as a good of the week, but... Um, It's college basketball is in full swing now, you know, with football behind us, baseball still about two months out. Uh, It's college basketball and NBA and golf and maybe a little racing for me, auto racing that is, and I'm going to get to that later in the show. I mean, if I'm going to sit down uh, and watch sports, it's going to be one of those, and traditionally, I would say of those four, college basketball gets the bulk of my interest. I haven't really gotten into it much this season. I mean, I still... Put myself through the ringer and watch the majority of the Syracuse games. They took a tough L at home tonight to the Wolfpack, and now uh, the Oranges' big dance. What slim hopes there were are pretty much gone. But that's neither here nor there. Um, They've had a dog shit team all all year. That's not really (laughs) breaking news. But, you know, I've had a hard time getting into college basketball this season, Ryan, and I don't think I'm alone. I mean, you you read online, it seems like every other day there's a different national college basketball writer basically writing about how the sport sucks right now. And I sort of agree. I don't know if I fully agree. I mean, I think across the board, the talent level is down. I think you're seeing more and more kids, uh, players, leave after one year. Even if they don't even think they're going to get drafted, they're just content to either go to the G League or go abroad where, you know, the. it used to be kind of a big deal for a player to go to Europe or Australia or China or uh, south of Brazil has a bunch of mm-hmm. professional leagues. now, But those have expanded a lot. I think there's a lot more money to be made. There's a lot more opportunities out there. And you see kids taking them, and I think it's hurting the sport overall. And, you know, here in a couple of years, they haven't – I don't think they've decided on, on the exact year that they're going to do away – with the one and done, but that's coming. Um, You know, you saw Coach K earlier this week. Coach K now seems to be in the news pretty much every day himself. But earlier in the week, he basically gave some quotes, I think before in the lead-up to the Carolina-Duke game, which was a hell of a game on Saturday night. But, you know, he talked about how it's sad that the leadership on the college basketball side of the NCAA doesn't seem to be doing anything uh, to sort of advance the sport. I mean, we've talked about... The the rule that Pat, the law, I should say, that passed in California, uh, you know, to allow players to profit off of their likeness. There's a lot going on in the sport. I mean, I was sitting on the couch watching some hoop on Saturday. I was watching the Auburn LSU game on Saturday morning, which was just really a phenomenal game. You had that game and then the Duke UNC game later. Two tremendous games on Saturday. Saturday was really a good, really good slate of college basketball. All day, but I'm sitting there watching the LSU Auburn game, and Will Wade, the head coach of LSU, Bruce Pearl, the head coach of Auburn, they've both been implicated in this whole, you know, Adidas scandal, for lack of a better word, where Adidas and then, you know, there's been a lot of rumors that Nike was doing the same thing. I mean, of course they were, where they're funneling money to coaches to pay recruits. I mean, Sean Miller at Arizona alleged to pay DeAndre Ayton a lot of money, but, you know, Auburn and LSU, two good teams. Uh, their coaches, both five, three, maybe even three years ago, if they had been in wrapped up in this scandal the way they have been, they would have been fired. Same with Bill Self at Kansas. Same to probably Michigan State, Tom Izzo. Certainly the same with Shaw Miller at Arizona. None of them lost their job. They've all got teams, really good teams. All of those coaches are going to probably be in the big dance. And, you know, I think the the thing that strikes my attention the most is that no – the fans, it almost seems like it basically stopped caring. You know, it's like no one even bats an eye at the fact that Bill Stealth still not only has his job, but has a top three team nationally. And it's just kinda like the beat goes on. It just seems to be so much going on around college basketball. I think it does take away from the product on the court. But I still think the product on the court is pretty good. And that's really my good of the week. You know, here we are, the second week of February, we're ramping up, you know, we've got Four weeks, I guess, until the big dance and the big dance. The big dance is always going to be great. I'm always yes, going to be, be awesome. excited for the big dance to start. But, you know, I don't know. You look at the standings, and I think, and I've read this, be- I've, I've read quote-unquote experts say it, and I think I agree, that this is one of the more wide-open uh, March roads to the Final Four that we've seen in a really long time. I think we've had seven different teams take the number one ranking this year. Baylor has been at the top for a while now. They're 21-1. and Big Gonzaga's been knocking on the door. Uh, they're 25-1, and and then Kansas is three. Those are the unanimous top three right now. And San Diego State, who is on right now, uh, three-point lead close to the end of the first half on New Mexico, as a, they're still undefeated. So those are really the top four. But then you've got Louisville, Dayton, Duke, Florida State, Maryland, Seton Hall. Those are the top 10 in both polls. So there's really no discrepancy there at all. Then you get to Auburn, who's 21 and 2. I mean, a 21 and 2 team ranked 11th is pretty strong. Then Kentucky, Penn State, West Virginia, Colorado round out the top 15. But I think you've got teams from all over the country, teams from all, you know, the, of course the Power Five, but also some mid majors in there. Gonzaga, San Diego State, Dayton, all in yeah, the top Yeah, Dayton, six. I didn't realize
1: today just how good of a season they were having.
0: Yeah, I actually saw Dayton play live a couple of weeks ago hmm. uh, in Richmond. They have a stud. Um, his name is some... some Obi. 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 So, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I know the guy you're I talking about, I can't his
0: name. He was, he was awesome in person. I think he's a Like Obi Tippin or something like Obi that? Tappen. or Tappin. Like, I think it's Tappin.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, you may be right.
0: And I think his brother plays for... I want to say Rhode Island. I was watching them play one night. But anyway, college basketball to me, you know, obviously they've been playing since pretty much Halloween. But I think it's really ramping up now. You know, I'm watching more games. I'm trying to figure out who I think is going to go deep in the tournament. But it's just going to be an impossible thing to predict. You know, again, I think that any of the teams in the top. 20, I would say, I think, are capable of winning a national championship. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a team ranked lower than 20 right now I mean Illinois is ranked 22 they lost by one at home tonight to Michigan State I've seen them play a little bit I think they're a pretty strong team I mean LSU is ranked 25th I've seen them play a few times I I think they're really good they could certainly go to the final four I don't know about a national championship but it's wide open it should be a great march to the final four I'm excited for it Uh, but it is hard to sort of I don't know, put all the off and the floor stuff and the sort of murky future of the sport into, you know, it's, it's hard to take that completely out of the picture. And I guess that's where I'm at with the whole thing. It's, it's, uh, some of the shine is off the sport for me for sure these days.
1: It is a little bit weird. And, you know, as you're talking about some of the coach situations and, you know, their ability to, essentially weather the storm or or the storm really not showing up because people are either over it or become apathetic about it or because it's just become seemingly so so run of the mill that people don't get up in arms about it anymore but it it kind of feels like that's that is a a larger issue uh just even in society today i think that people are at a point where they kind of think that they can't do anything uh against the machine once it's moving so it's just like well the machine's gonna do what it's gonna do, and uh, and we don't really have a lot of control over that. So people are kind of just resigned to that situation being whatever it is. That that being said, um, I am excited for the end of this season. I have a really hard time getting up for the games this time of year. I, you know, Oregon's a top twenty-five team. I've been watching them every opportunity, um, but I, I don't you know, hang on. on college games this time of year yet but we're getting close to that point where uh bubble teams start to be start to needing start needing to count wins um i I love tournament week uh conference tournament week as much as i like no i shouldn't say as much it's not nearly as good as the actual big dance championship Championship week week. championship week thank you (laughs) is uh i mean you know essentially just a a, an extension or a a precursor to march madness that i absolutely love That's awesome the 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 automatic bids, the bubble watches, um, all that stuff, and this year specifically, it seems like it is wide open. Now that probably means we're going to end up with a final four of blue bloods, but uh, the blue bloods have not been as dominant as we're accustomed to seeing them. Obviously, we've we've seen some new teams kind of crack into those uh, championship and final four. Uh, moments recently that that hadn't been there before. Teams like Texas Tech, uh, teams who had fallen short previously, like Auburn, Virginia, or like, me, like, like 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 Virginia, <laughs> yeah. um, Auburn starting to make a push. But uh, you know, Gonzaga finally getting into a championship game a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that this year, you know, you look at a team like Baylor who has a 21 game win streak, and obviously they're putting them all, putting it all together. But I, I don't know how many people really or when, they, when it comes to fill out their bracket time, is going to pencil Baylor in as the, as the champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think if you were asked right now, you'd say you have, it, it'll be something completely different than what you'll say a month from now. So um, I, I think that this year I'm excited for the parody because even though I think the product isn't maybe quite as appealing, um, and I shouldn't say as appealing, but it just hasn't hooked me yet this season, uh, I, I expect it to, like it always does, and I think the fact that it's going to be so wide open is going to be uh, is going to be great for a lot of stories this March.
0: I agree, but, you know, at the end of the day, I used to be way more into college basketball than I am now, and I don't know really what the reasons are. I think it's a combination. I think the fact that Syracuse isn't very good certainly plays a factor. Um, I think that, you know not working at a TV station anymore, and now at 4 o'clock, I'm I'm either still working or I'm picking up my kids from school, and that's when, you know, the best games are on during the week. So I'm just not really able to watch the 4 o'clock game much at all, and the 6 o'clock game is kind of during dinner slash getting my kids ready for bed, so by the time I'm available to really watch games, they're basically all over, except for the occasional Pac-12 game, you know, on a Thursday night. So I think that that contributes a lot to it. And honestly, when I sit down and watch these games, I don't know who any of the players are for the most part. And I think that that's because they're the, the best players are all leaving after one year. And it just keeps cycling through. And Kentucky has a different team every year. Duke has a different team every year. Uh, Kansas pretty much has a different team every year. You know, uh, the beat goes on. And I don't think that's great for the sport. I really don't. I mean, I think it's good. You know, the, when college basketball was at its best, guys stayed for three or four years. And I, and I mm-hmm. think that that obviously helps the sport. Now you turn on a game, and for the most part, the only person you recognize is the head coach. So uh, I, I just don't think that that's good for the sport. I think it affects the level of play. And I also think it it hurts the NBA because I don't think that fans have as much of a chance to familiarize themselves with these players for three years in college. You know, like a Christian. I mean, the examples, the list is long, but Christian Leitner is a good example. He didn't have a great pro career, but people were at least interested in seeing how he did in the pros because he had such a notable college career. Now, you know, a Zion is sort of the exception to the rule, the vast majority of these guys that are picked in the lottery or in the first round are basically, for the most part, nameless and faceless guys because you only got to watch them for one NCAA tournament, if that. Or they came from Europe. Yeah, exactly. and, And I don't think that's necessarily good. I mean, it's just kind of the world we're living in. I mean, the NBA is certainly doing fine. But I do think that the rule where... These kids can leave after one year, and that so many do. I, I, I do. I think it hurts both sports. I think it hurts college and the NBA. But... There's not really much you can do about it. It's just the world we're living in. I mean, it's like I said before. The opportunities for these guys to go overseas and make money is unlike anything we've seen before. Who could possibly begrudge a young man that you know, that chance to do that? I don't have a real problem with it. I wish that they would stay. But if they want to go test the G League waters or go play in Australia or whatever and make six figures, more power to them.
1: Agreed. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's... um it's a little bit, I don't want to say unfortunate, but the, the, the product has changed because you don't get the familiarity. Uh, I think the, the viewing product at least because the, the turnover is so great and because these guys do have other options right now. And I think it's good for them that they do have the options, but it's almost like uh, watching a, um, you know, every game watching a non-Power 5 game where it's, it, it's mostly people you're not familiar with um, and, you know, the coaches, like you said.
0: Yeah, and then there, there's one other thing. And that is, you know, just the skit. There's so many games. I mean, these teams are playing 30 regular season games for the most part. And it's like we've talked about so many times. I just think that the media landscape is different. People's lives are different. You know, there's so many different things competing for our attention. And, you know, I don't really care if I don't see the Carolina Duke game. They're going to play again in a couple weeks. They might play again in the ACC tournament. And, you know, if I miss it, I miss it. Whereas a college football Saturday has a completely different feel than a college basketball Saturday. And I think that's because of the scarcity of the games more than anything else. And as I'm watching the highlights here, Obi Teppin, Toppin, had a hell of cool a windmill dunk tonight for to the Flyers. Mm. Spectacular. Okay. I think we've plowed this college basketball ground about as thoroughly as we can plow it.
1: Just um, like Jim Harbaugh always says.
0: What's your bad of the week?
1: My bat of the week is just the basketball. No, it's just the sports lull that we're in. I think basketball, college basketball, might be the 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 savior of that right now. And like I said, I'm not that hooked by that right now. But uh, I think you. You're going to talk about the NBA All Star break does little to nothing for me. Um, the XFL is not a product like with any players that I'm familiar with. So that's not something that I'm running to the television set for. We did have pebble beaches last weekend, which is nice to watch a couple holes, but it's not the same as watching major golf. Um, and we're just at a point of the year where pitchers and catchers haven't reported yet. And even when they do, uh, I'm not all that enthused about spring training. It's more for me, it's something that's more fun to go to than it actually is to follow unless you've got uh, really high hopes. For your franchise and as a Giants fan I do not so it's just it's a weird time of year that frankly I just don't like very much once we get to conference championship week then we'll really be in the sweet spot again but for now it's just kind of a dud of a time and so uh you know taking to some other activities read a little bit of a book today went to the gym doing some other things probably watching a, a little a, a few fewer sports but uh I don't know just it's probably my least favorite time of year for sports.
0: It's by far the worst time of year for sports, I think. I think the entire, once the Super Bowl ends up until championship week, really, there ain't much. And, uh, you know, I think it in some ways, you know, it's a a classic example of you got to turn the negative into a positive. And for me, you know, same thing. I'm working out more. I'm doing the whole thing that I started last year during this time where I'm drinking no alcohol during this period of the year. I'm also, for the first time in my life, trying uh, what it's like. And I hate saying this term, but for lack of a better term, I'm a pescatarian. I'm not Uh eating any meat. Uh, I've never done that before, and I'm finding it to be great, really. If nothing else, I just think it's an interesting thing to do. Um, So I'm taking this opportunity to to do all that. Uh, Like you, I'm trying to read a little, but mainly I'm just trying to Be really in with my family, and of course, I'm getting everything ready to try to move and and everything that comes with that. So that's occupying a a ton of my time in addition to work. But it's kind of nice, really. I mean, once you get over the first, you know, the come down that comes with the football season ending, you know, those first few days after the Super Bowl, I think, are downright depressing. But then (laughs) once you get past that, you know, you kind of settle into it. and It's like, okay, I I see what's going on here. I remember what this is like, and it's just kind of nice to not really be tied to any sort of sporting events. You know, if you catch a minute of the game, great. I mean, like you, I was into the Pebble Beach. I watched, you know, an hour maybe on both Saturday and Sunday. The best part of that whole thing is Jim Nance. I mean, he is just on another level when he's out there at Pebble Beach, which is where he lives and the celebrities and the corporate Gas yes, that he has up there, and Clint Eastwood. I mean, he is wow. I mean, he just really lays it on thick, which he always does. But I feel like at Pebble, he just takes his suck up game to to, to levels that are not seen <laughs> in, in in major sports media these days. I mean, he is a unique character, uh, to be sure. But um, that was my favorite part of watching Pebble and just seeing the golf course. You know, I've been there a bunch of times i know kind of how most of the holes are and i think that that is probably the biggest reason i like to watch that tournament the celebrities i think are you know i could take them or leave them and the golf really wasn't great but i enjoy just seeing the course uh more than anything else and and hearing nance but yeah i mean it's just a really slow time of year but again you got to kind of take advantage of it and and Catch up on things that maybe you, you've been neglecting, whether it's your wife or your kids or <laughs> your dog or your diet or whatever it is. It's, it's a time to kind of get, get, get your shit back together, I guess.
1: There you go. Am I right? Take a negative negative, turn it into a positive.
0: Take a negative and turn it into a positive. If you do that, you're going to be leading a happy life. All right. Uh, my bad of the week is very much in line with what you're talking about. But I'm going to be specific to this coming weekend, which most years I feel like has kind of been, I guess I would call it an underrated sports weekend for me. I mean, usually the NBA All-Star Weekend and the Daytona 500 coincide. On some years, they both land on Pebble Beach. This year, it lands on Riviera, which actually has a really good field. I'll I'll be interested to kind of watch some of the Riviera Golf Tournament this weekend. But in years past, if you would ask me to rank uh, what You know, whether it's Pebble or Riviera against Daytona in the NBA All-Star Game, the golf would be third for me. This year, I think that the golf is probably first, but I am also don't really care. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I need a little sip of water.
1: Take your time. Please, by all means, refresh the pipes. Uh,
0: I had to refresh the pipes. Um, I think that the NBA All-Star Game for me is at an all-time low in terms of me being interested in In the whole weekend and the same I think can be said of the Daytona 500 I really I'm not going to be that upset if I don't see a minute of either Um, I don't really know why I mean we could dive into it I think this tweaking of the NBA all-star format for me is really just shining a turd it's nothing you know no real difference now that they've got captains picking the team I couldn't care less about that at all I mean, I you know the NBA All Star Game. I've been to three of them. I went to three in a row. Be I thought that being there would be fun and exciting. it, it isn't. It isn't any better when you're in the arena. I mean, it's, I've said it before. The best part about the All Star Game is kind of like the introductions, just or the warm ups, just seeing all those great players on the floor at once. But once the game starts, it's pretty much dog shit. Um, the the, the three point contest and dunk contest does nothing for me. I used to be mildly intrigued. Now I couldn't care less. And Daytona, I just feel like, I mean, we've detailed this ad nauseum, but NASCAR continues down this this downward spiral, I think. I don't, I think it's, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say never, but I think that NASCAR is lost and gone forever, honestly, if I had to bet, as a national sport. Um, You know, it's going to continue to exist, certainly. But I think they're heading for... A situation where they've got to start cutting the number of races that they have. Uh, And to me, that's a sign that that's the beginning of the end once they do that. So, I mean, for the first time, I think in since like I want to say the early 60s, the the main NASCAR circuit doesn't have a title sponsor. I mean, that kind of tells you all you need to know. So I just don't really care about either event. And in, in years past, I've been excited so i guess that's my bad of the week just a, a kind of a another dud of a sports weekend to come in. but you know it's all good it's cool you know we've got family stuff planned but i wouldn't i wish i was a little more excited for both the nba all-star weekend and the daytona but i i am just not
1: um i've i have long not really been very interested in the nba all-star weekend I, but i would say that I always love the three-point contest. I love it. I love it every year. I make a point of recording it uh, every year. The dunk contest has totally lost its luster. We had we kind of got one surprise classic contest between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon a couple of years ago, and beyond that, it's been nothing memorable whatsoever. But I think that I think there's there's few things prettier in sports than watching a good shooter knock down three pointers. Um, just just it's aesthetically pleasing, and then you see the, the rate at which these guys are able to get the shots off. I don't like the new—I don't know if you've heard that they've added a wrinkle to that contest this year. They're essentially uh, adding the the Damian Lillard logo three. You're going to get a couple extra shots from, like, I don't know, 10 feet behind the line mm-hmm. uh, and, and 10 extra seconds to do it. I don't like the change to the format there because I, I, don't, I don't think it's kind of just true to what's always been good, but— um, you know, every year I think that contest usually ends up being close and it's a pretty impressive exhibition to watch. To me it's been far more impressive than the dunk contests have been in the game, it's you can just you put it in the garbage can. The game is awful.
0: Yeah. Um I had heard about that three point thing. Doesn't do much for me either way. Here's your slam dunk contest participants. Uh Aaron Gordon, Dwight Howard. Back yeah. in the mix.
1: First Gary- time in eleven years he's been in it.
0: Yeah. Derek Jones Jr. of the Heat, who I've never heard of, and yep, same. Pat Pat Connaughton of mm-hmm. your Milwaukee Bucks is in I mean, former Irishman. Like, I can't believe that Pat Connaughton is in the dunk yeah.
1: contest. I mean, he does have bounce for a white boy, but like he's—I mean, he's like the 12, the tenth man on a really good team. Doesn't see a lot of run. He's not a national name. Like that's not going to move am- the needle. It doesn't move the needle for anyone. And I don't know when we got the. I think LeBron James essentially started the shift of the league's best and most athletic players just choosing to not participate in this. It would be so much more fun if, if really the four or six best athletes got out there and went wild. But it's just... Those days are gone.
0: They're, they're long gone. Here is who is shooting in the three-point contest. Um, Davis Bertans of your Wizards. Devonte Graham. Think,
1: does he have the best? Does he have the best? I think Bertans might have the best percentage in the league.
0: Maybe. I have no idea. He, he he did earlier in the year. No idea. I would have to look that up. Uh, Devontae Graham for the Hornets. He's had a nice season. Joe Harris of the Nets. Buddy Heald of the Kings. Zach Levine, the aforementioned. Zach Levine of the Bulls. Damian Lillard of the Blazers. Duncan Robinson of the Heat. Another guy I've never heard of, and Trey never Young awesome. of the Hawks. So heard of him. Decent, you know. Decent. I would watch that, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it. That's
1: for damn sure. Yeah, I'll slap a recording on it. I'm not going to go out of my way That's to watch a good it idea. Like, as it's happening. But Now that I think about
0: it, I had forgotten about this, but I just remembered. My kids loved the dunk contest and the three-point shootout last year. They were way into it. They were like trying to emulate it on their little hoop, both of them. They'll be way into it this year. So now all of a sudden, I'm kind of excited for it.
1: Well, there we go. Look, look at us, turning negatives into positives. Totally.
0: And they're a year older. I mean, we're playing basketball in the living room every night. So, uh, yeah. I'll, I'm in Ball room. is life. Yeah, ball is life. We'll, we'll watch that. Um, okay, where are we? Where are we in the My are,
1: interesting of the week.
0: Your, your interesting of the week. What's your interesting of the week?
1: So, my interesting of the week, I don't want to say it's complicated, but I, I don't want to do... You to get me wrong here. It is not the XFL. The XF. I did watch a little bit of it. I will say, it seems a lot better as a just a viewing product than the AAF was, uh, and and definitely better than the XFL was the last time around. Seemingly much less gimmicky and uh, an attempt to be a lot more viewer friendly. So I'm not adopting the league as something that I'm going to be watching on a regular basis. If it's on, if I'm at a bar. Uh, if I'm doing something around the house, you know, maybe it'll be on in the background if there's not a good golf round going on but, uh, or a good, good college hoops game. But what I do like is some of the experimental things that they're doing uh, that I think that the NFL could take a few notes and cues from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's some really radical rules that uh, just uh, probably are a little bit too much um, and a little bit too out there for the NFL to just jump on board with. Like, for example, I really like the the option for one, two, and three-point plays uh, and, and eliminating the uh, option of kicking an extra point, you either uh, you, you take the ball one play from the two-yard line for one point, a play from the five-yard line for two points, or a play from the 10-yard line for three points. So it's just kind of a variable extra point. I think it'll lead to fewer ties and also just eliminates the PAT, which doesn't really do anything for anyone. It eliminates the importance of a kicker except for the, the deeper field goals later in the game. Um, I, I also, though, think that they're really on to something with some some of their safety rules, and I don't know if you caught punt and kickoff rule.
0: No, I didn't. I didn't see any of it
1: to move. So it's it's a cool rule, and it's it's basically when I say it's a cool rule, they essentially line these blockers up like five yards away from each other, essentially where they would meet eventually, if the kickoff were being brought out to the 20-yard line, as it often is in football, but they're eliminating the collisions. So the kicker is kicking off, and the return man can move, and the kicker can move, but everyone else, all the blockers and all the, the kick coverage men are essentially idle until that return man catches the ball, and then it can move. So It so where eliminates do, a lot of the violent out here. contact.
0: On the kickoff, where do the kicking yes. team mm-hmm. coverage guys
1: stand? The kicking team coverage guys stand. I want to say like twenty or thirty, maybe forty yards ahead of where the kickoff guy is. So almost like a
0: like a line of scrimmage, but it's not where the ball. Yeah, they off. almost
1: have a kickoff line of scrimmage. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's correct. Okay, that's and, interesting. Uh, and then I think for and I think for punts they do something similar as well. And I. I, I I'll have to, you know, I don't know. I don't have the specifics offhand of the exact way they're executing it. I just, I saw it a couple times and it just, it seemed like the kind of returns where with the right hole, you could still break uh, a a long run, but it's just not going to have these breakneck speed helmet to helmet collisions that we, that get a lot of guys injured on kick and punt coverage. Um, And then I I think that it's just, uh, there are a few elements that make it a little bit more, fan-friendly from the standpoint that everybody's mic'd up basically uh you are always listening to the head coach like a hundred percent of the time uh talk about like calling in plays uh talking to his quarterbacks talking to the guys on the sideline they always have that mic up and then it's i mean it's kind of gimmicky but they have a reporter on the field to get instant reaction no matter what in any situation dude scores a touchdown you they They get him like as he 's on his way to the bench on the sideline, dude misses an ex you know misses uh, uh misses a game like you know a potential game winning field goal with you know four minutes left they're in his face with a microphone. What happened out there mm-hmm. and uh it catches some really raw moments and it's uh, a little bit in your face, but I think they're doing some things for the viewers that are interesting, and I think they're doing some things for player safety that are interesting, so i'll be interested to see. If the NFL um, tries to copycat any of this stuff, because I, I think some of it's going to work.
0: Yeah, I got to be honest. I didn't watch a second of the XFL. Uh, every I didn't even
1: read a whole lot about it.
0: So everything that I...
1: And when I say I watched some, I watched maybe a quarter, a
0: quarter and a half oh, while no, I was I doing mean, some other stuff I'm happy house. that you did, because I didn't know about any of this stuff. So I'm hearing about these sort of innovative things for the first time. They all sound interesting to me. I mean, the mic'd up part and the reporter in your face seems like they took a page right out. And I've talked about this before, but the Premier Lacrosse League, the new uh, Outdoor Pro Lacrosse League uh, that was new last year, they did a lot of that same stuff on NBC Sports, and it was actually really cool. Um, So, excuse me, I bet that it's really good on the XFL. I don't know if it will work on the NFL, just because I think... There's an inherent lack of seriousness that comes with an XFL game relative to an NFL game, just because of all the obvious reasons. So I wonder mm-hmm. how, how that would work on an NFL game, but it will be interesting to see, you know the one thing that what was the league the AAF or the AFL or what: was the, Yeah, the, the, the,
1: the American Association of Football the yeah, AAF lasted
0: about three or four weeks. The one thing they did that I really liked, that I would love to see the NFL, is just have the replay booth mic so that, you know, when the referee is talking to the replay booth mm-hmm. and there's a challenge, you can really hear what they're talking about. I wish and the they, NFL they would that, do that. they had that for this.
1: They had the head referee mic'd up for the entire game. So whether it, was being, whether it was in a review or just calling a penalty or talking to a coach, they had the ref mic'd up the entire game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And my other favorite part, really my only favorite part of the XFL is how the defensive coordinator for one of the teams, Pepper Johnson, who I remember. He's already
1: been fired.
0: Yeah, he was fired (laughs) after one game. I remember Pepper Johnson was a hell of a player in the mid 90s and uh, mid 80s, early 90s. He was on some of those Phil Sims, Jeff Hostetler, Lawrence Taylor Super Bowl teams for for Big Blue with Bill Parcells as the head coach. So I remember him. But I wonder what he did to get fired after one game.
1: Uh, I guess he gave up. They gave, his, his team gave up four passing touchdowns in their first game, and I think no other team. Yeah, I think no other team allowed more than two or something like that. I, I also forgot there is, and I don't believe any games have come to this yet. But they have a really unique overtime format. It's almost like a soccer or hockey shootout style, where each team gets five plays from the opponent's two-yard line, and whoever converts the most of them. Uh, wins the game hmm. cool. and so the first offense goes out on the field for five plays see how many you get out of five then the other then the opposing team's offense goes out on the field for five and if it's still tied then it's back and forth sudden death
0: cool well i'll have to tune in one of these days i did listen to a podcast uh with steve levy who's i guess the lead voice of the xfl mm-hmm. on abc and, and he said some interesting things i think they have a good broadcast crew with him and greg mcelroy and Tom Lugenbill. And And actually,
1: people were gushing about Greg Olson, who everyone is tabbing as the next great analyst once he's done playing. He was in the booth over the weekend as well. But uh, he's still taking visits to play another season in the NFL.
0: I see. Yeah, so I guess he's on Fox with Kevin Burkhart. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's correct.
0: Yeah, and then Diana Rossini is the sideline reporter with Steve Levy. I Mm -hmm. think she's really good. I like her a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So... I'll have to check it out. But I am not gonna check out much. I, I'm telling you that right now. I'm just not interested. I, I'm just not
1: I'm I not mean, interested in the league. I'm interested in what what thing what ideas they have that could make its way into football that we actually care about.
0: Yeah, that that will be cool if there's some cool stuff to come out of that that the NFL and maybe Uh, college football can adapt so good interesting my interest in the week I'm gonna go over to baseball and some of their proposed innovative rules that came out this week Joel Sherman of the New York Post broke the story two days ago on I guess it was not it was yesterday that he broke the story on Monday and you know when I first read about these proposed rule changes uh, to the playoff format in MLB I initially did not like them I, and I think that that was the general public reaction to them. But when I went back and read them a little more tonight and really sort of thought about it, I'm not so sure I don't like them, Ryan, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I remember when they added the wild card and the play in game and all that when it first came out. I, I remember thinking that was a horrible idea and it quickly grew on me. I still think they could tweak that a little bit. But, you know, this new proposal that they're, that they're, bandying about which i guess would take place no sooner than 2022 so the cba expires after next season so this would have to be part of the new cba that would be unveiled in 2022 but i guess they would have the proposal has six playoff teams in each div in each league you'd have the three division winners and then three wild cards so an additional wild card team the team with the best record in each league would not have to play in the first round they would get they would get a bye to the, to the division series and then the remaining other top i guess three teams so i guess it would be seven teams in each league would make the playoffs
1: right the the total playoff pool would expand from 10 to 14 right so the
0: first top dog in each league gets a bye then you've got three best of 3 series in each league with the top seed getting all 3 games at home. That's kind of the weird part to me. I mean, I understand that they're trying to incentivize. See, I think
1: that's the best part of the whole thing because you like that. I I don't I don't like the single game wildcard format. I think I don't either. especially because there's often a gap in how far those teams are apart. So I don't I don't understand you know, if a team finishes four games better than the team that they're hosting, why that, you know, team could roll out their ace, win one game, and continue on. I think that baseball apparently is a sport, is a game that's always played in series. You know, even if it's a, I want to say two-game set, but I think a best of three where the better seed gets to host the series is, is almost baseball as it should be for the first round. I, I love that part of it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I just think that maybe... Let one, you know, let the lesser seed have a home game at some point. But they're going to just try to wedge this into October and not shorten the regular season at all and not really extend the postseason into November at all. So, in order to do that, they can't really have that one or two travel days in these first round series. And I get that. I'm just not sure it's the best way to go. But generally speaking, I think I'm in favor of something like this. Maybe not this specifically, but something like this. You know, I do see arguments that you're going to reward more mediocrity by letting more teams in the playoff. I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, I think that the argument that you're that less teams are going to sort of give up on the season before it starts under this new format, I think that's something to get excited about because I think we've got too mm-hmm. many teams heading into this season, heading into last season. You know, there's too many teams now with this CBA that they've got with it that has this luxury tax, and we're seeing the luxury tax and work. You know, the the Mookie Betts trade was a direct result of this new luxury tax. So I think it's sort of doing what it's intended to do, but the lesser, you know, the smaller market teams need to do their part and take the money that they're getting from the luxury tax and put it into their team. And that's what's not happening. I mean, you're, there's so right, many Right, like teams, the Pirates,
1: who have a total payroll of $43 million this year.
0: It's insane. I mean, the... The top luxury tax number is like 260 or 265 million dollars, and to your point. I mean, teams like the A's and the Rays have a total payroll of sometimes under 40 million. So that's a problem. You know, I would love to see them maybe institute some sort of salary floor to, to mandate that teams have to spend a certain amount, or maybe they pay, you know, a, a non-luxury tax. I mean, I don't know what you would want to call it, call it. I would be in favor of that. I mean I know some you know people think that, that sort of socialism in baseball. I don't really care. I just think that the sport needs something to where half your teams aren't even trying to win at all and they're just skating by on collecting the revenue sharing, which I know has been lessened pretty significantly. But still I think that the teams the even the small market teams, I think the owners are making handover fest, and I hate it when they don't invest that those profits into their roster to try to get people to come. I mean uh, attendance across baseball has dropped for seven straight seasons. I totally get why they're trying to do something different. And you know I I don't know. I, I think that they that you know some of the rules are, have gone too far. I'm not in favor at all of the new rule that we're going to see instituted this coming season where relief pitchers must face a minimum of three batters. I think that's ridiculous. I hate
1: that. I hate that. Yeah,
0: we're we're all both on record and of hating that. That's I think
1: that's taking away the the kind of beauty of the of the bullpen matchups late in games, especially when games that matter late in the season. I I really really don't like that change. Yeah,
0: we we've been down this road before. I mean. I think we're both in favor of doing certain things to try to decrease the length of games. I mean, an average game of three hours is too long. I think you want to get that average game length between two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes. They're a long way from doing that. Um, I, I really think, think the
1: sweet spot for them, like Michael, is going to be the, what, what we've seen a lot more of now in basketball, football. Like It, it's all, it almost seems like it... it kind of took off post-baseball season, but the in-game commercials that are happening that are like 15-second spots or whatever, uh, I feel like those are perfect for baseball where you often have that much time between hitters. If you can take that inventory there, take it out of the actual commercial breaks, that's where I think they could really make a difference. I
0: totally agree, and they're doing that. I mean, they did that in the playoffs this past season, and I thought it was really good.
1: added it and but they're not whittling down the actual time, time between, time between innings, innings which i think needs to happen
0: no i i agree with that completely i think that they could trim so, i mean at a certain point the
1: players can only get on and off the field
0: but so fast you know well sure but
1: they're also like most of them they need two throws and they're warm it's fine like yeah. they don't if you want to if you uh, want to decrease
0: yeah. the number of pitcher warm-ups you know even if it's Decrease it by three or four pitches. I think you add that up over, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of 18 times a game, and that would make a difference. But I'm, I'm on record here of saying I, I think that the robo-ump is where they've got to go. I think that will solve mm-hmm. a lot of the problems they have, yep. you know, with basically half of these umpires being shitty and inconsistent at calling balls and strikes. That'll fix that immediately. But I think it'll speed up the game a good bit too. Um, and there will be less arguing to be done, I think, between managers mm-hmm. and umps. But I just think that the bigger point is, is just calling a consistent strike zone, calling a strike zone the way it's meant, which is to the the you know, right under the armpits to right below the knees. The high strike does not get called at all. And it hasn't for decades. And I think <coughs> excuse me, if they start calling the strike zone the way it's written that the games are just going to be faster because batters are going to be swinging at more pitches because they're going to be called strikes. And then the other thing that they got to do, and they've tried to do this but they don't enforce it, is not letting batters step out of the box between every pitch. If you step out of the box, it's a strike. And that's an easy thing to enforce. And you do that for the first month of the season, I really think the problem will be solved. Nobody's really going to watch in April. It'll be an ugly April but after that, these teams well, are going to pick pitchers up. Pitchers,
1: too. I mean, we can, I think we can even increase that clock on pitchers. Get back on the rubber, take your sign, and throw the ball.
0: Agree. I mean, on the rubber within three seconds of catching the ball, and the batter can't leave the box at all during the A-B, that would be a, a, just a huge difference. That, I think that would trim 10 or 15 minutes. Off of an and I think game. it would
1: make the game a lot more appealing for people in person, and live attendance is dwindling a lot. I think that if it, if it totally weren't agree. a four-hour affair and could be a two-and-a-half-hour affair, it's something more people would do on a, on a, on a weeknight.
0: And then the other thing they got to do while we're solving baseball's problems here, I'm not even going to talk about the marketing and the social media because that, that's just a whole other can of worms. But the, the, the ticket prices and the concession prices are too high. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Great. 81 games, for you still, you know, it, you can't take a family of four to a ball game just for less than $20 a ticket. Yeah, I mean, and that's a, a very cheap ticket. You basically can't even get a $20 ticket after all the fees. I think that's a huge mistake. And again, I think the concessions are way too expensive if they would lower the ticket prices and lower the concession prices i think the people would start coming to the game again and they're just some of these these speed up the game things are easy they're just easy i yep. don't understand why they don't enforce them but they don't but they're not they're not asking bucking sacks you know and they should be they should be listening to this shit because we've got some great ideas on how to make the sport better
1: i mean honestly think about every time the the managers chirping about something like Next, why don't why don't institute a rule that if, if the umpire has to pause the game for a manager more than once, he's gone. And then if you, if you have something to say, we'll talk about it between innings. But like that, I mean, there's so many little things that that hold it up. Um, I you know I think I wouldn't even be opposed to taking away the 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 singular mound visit. Basically, no mound visits unless you're making a change. And yeah. uh, I mean, cut those most down of the, these guys are. I know it's part of the game, and I know sometimes they do it to talk strategy and set defense, but these guys are pro-athletes, they can figure it out.
0: They can. And then the other thing that we should mention is the is the pitch clock, which they I feel like they've been experimenting with for like five years. I mean, they've got it. And them. not
1: really enforcing. They just kind of have it.
0: They have them. They're there. I mean, you go <laughs> But you they know, don't
1: really use them.
0: It's crazy. I mean, you go to a game and you you've got this clock out there in left field or whatever it is counting down between, you know, between the half innings and then counting down, I guess, you know, between each pitch or each batter. I mean, but they don't enforce it at all. So I don't understand what they're doing. I understand there's been pushback. I mean, it always comes down to just the sort of historic tension between the Players Association and the owners, and it's it's always a very touchy thing. But, you know, I think that coming up on this new CBA – Maybe we're heading for a work stoppage. I don't know. But they need to figure it out. I mean, just like now is the time. You can't just lose attendance eight or nine straight years in today's entertainment climate and expect to be fine. Eventually you're not gonna be fine. I think they're fine now. I think the, the crazy salaries and free agency that we saw this past offseason are are total harbingers of that. I think the sport is still in terrific financial shape, but they got to make some meaningful changes to address the major issues, which is time of game, which is directly related to falling television ratings and falling numbers at the box office. I mean, these are real problems that they have to figure out a way to address. And if, if this if they think this postseason proposal, which is how we got started on this from the, in, in the beginning, if they think that's the way to do it, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for trying new things. Uh, You know, I am a traditionalist, but I'm also thinking, you know, I'm I'm somewhat open to new ideas and trying to make the sport better. So make the sport better. You know, make good decisions. Don't make bad decisions. That's my advice.
1: You know, that's sage advice, Michael.
0: Yeah. All right. That's my interest of the week. We've gone an hour. Do you have a wild card?
1: Uh, I do have a wild card. Cool. And uh, this kind of was spurred from... Uh, seeing an episode, an old episode of uh, the of the show, The Office, playing on TV, and okay. uh, they're standing around during a fire drill or an actual building fire, uh, <laughs> doing the desert island game, and um, and talking about uh, if you basically had one book or one movie or one album if you were just trapped in some place forever. Uh, so my question to you, and you can go any of the three directions. You can go book, movie, or album. What's what's the one? Medium, that if you could only get one of them, you would want to entertain you for the uh, the foreseeable future until you were rescued.
0: Okay, great question. I'm definitely choosing album of the three because I think I, I would get... I figured you would. Well, I just think that I would get bored of of the same thing uh, less, listening to the same album over and over again. You know, a movie, how many times can you really watch a movie? And a book is Mm -hmm. going to get tedious, too. So I think an album gives you the most sort of mileage or bang for your buck. In terms of the one that I would pick, that's a much tougher question. The one that came immediately to mind is uh, My Morning Jacket. The album's called It Still Moves. It's one of my favorite albums. Um, I've been listening to it on vinyl here recently. I hadn't listened to it in a while, and it's just a complete and Total Masterpiece. It's kind of a longer album, which would be good for these purposes. Right. It has some like longer sort of ballad type songs. Uh, I think the lyrics are really good. I think that you listening to it over and over again, you would get, you know, find all the deeper meanings in the lyrics that you could possibly hope to find. And I guess, you know, short answer, that's my answer. I, you know, there's a lot of really great albums out there, a lot of really good albums that I love. But uh, My Morning Jacket is one of my, if not my favorite band, and that's one of my, if not my favorite albums. So uh, that's what I'm going with. How about you?
1: Excellent response. I think I would probably go the movie route, and yeah. uh, I think I might kind of cheat on this by intentionally trying to pick a movie with a great soundtrack that, in a movie that I also enjoy. Mm, so think smart. about a movie like, like uh, maybe like A Dazed and Confused that has a lot of really good classic rock, got you know it's a funny movie so it's uplifting you know something that's going to keep your keep your spirits decent but has a lot of really good music in it i think like Forrest gump comes to mind is yeah. having just an incredible soundtrack mm-hmm. um good morning vietnam has a really good soundtrack i don't know that i would want to watch that movie that many times um also sneaky one for me would be ferris bueller which just kind of all is is my kind of go-to good mood movie uh that one's soundtrack isn't quite as good but i think i would try to go movie with a great soundtrack and just off the top of my head, I think I'm going to have to say Dazed and Confused.
0: Cool. I mean, I like Dazed and Confused, Forrest Gump, and uh, what was the most recent one you said? Oh, Ferris Bueller. Um, Ferris yeah. Bueller, yeah. I love Ferris. I mean, I like all three. I, I love Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's one of my And I love Ferris
1: Bueller as a movie much more, but I think that the, uh, the music element from uh, Dazed and Confused might uh, try to help me kill two birds with one stone.
0: All right, cool. That's a good wild card. I gonna mean, actually think about some other albums that I would. Do you use. have a wild card? I do. And it's actually kind of, in some ways, similar, interestingly. But, you know, you, you actually mentioned it earlier in the show that, you know, during this kind of dead sports time of year, you've been reading a book. And I, too, have been reading a book and uh, a really good one, a one, one that I really like. Uh, it's the first fiction book I've read in some time, I'll, but I'll say I'm talking too much about my book. The wild card is—is is what are you know one or two good books that you've read recently?
1: Uh, that's yeah, great question. I and I like that wild card. Um, so recently on uh, my most recent vacation, I dove back into an old uh, series of fiction books that I had before, and it was the uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo mm-hmm. series. And I don't know if you've ever read any of those. I have. Uh, but it but was I've heard I, tremendous. I, I read these books. Yeah. And I read these before they made uh, the movie, the blockbuster movie for it. But there was there was a trilogy of them. And then the author um, passed away. He had uh, he had some sort of cancer. Uh, He was in his 60s. But he he had sort of like I don't want to say like a protege, but like a, a colleague or someone that he really respected. And he essentially told him, "You can go on writing these books and uh, wow. and writing this series for me that I started." And so, um, when I was on my vacation, I started the fourth in the series of six, but the first one of uh, from from the new author. So it was called. Uh, the girl in the spider's webs. I think um, it, it all it all starts with the girl with like the girl with the dragon tattoo or the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, what have you. So I just finished the fourth one of those and I, I picked up the fifth one. There's a pretty cool um, used paperback bookstore near me. Book prices are entirely too high right now. I know you can get a lot of them used on Amazon. Kindles become very popular. My wife does that, but I like actually having a physical book still. And I do so too. Uh, picked up the just picked up the fifth one in that series for uh, about five bucks at my used, uh, paperback store. And it's, uh, for those it's th- who aren't familiar, it's, uh, it's kind of like, um, it's spy journalism. Uh, it's a little bit kind of like bond meets, I, I-, I don't know. It's, it- it's hard. It's a, it's Swedish based, but there's a, there's kind of high level intelligence stuff going on. And, uh, in, Investigative journalism that's happening trying to uh, get to the bottom of big time crimes and it's, it's a really entertaining series. So that's, that's what I've been reading recently.
0: Cool. Um, the book I'm reading right now, and what is, have you been reading? Yeah, well, I, I already went ahead and started to tell you. but um, I'm reading a book called uh, Bear Town. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's very good. It basically it was given to me by my friend Chip um, for Christmas. And it's a really good book. Shout out, Chip. I can't tell you the name of the author. I know he's written at least one other book. I think that he is from Finland, the author, if not Finland, then Sweden. And I know that the book has been translated into English. It actually translates quite well. But it centers around uh, this little town that I think... Think it's a, it's a little bit hard to figure out if the town is set in Canada or if it's set somewhere in Scandinavia, but it's some you know very cold weather northern place that's obsessed with hockey and it, it centers around this youth like kind of teenager youth hockey team and and the, and the town around it and it, it's really incredibly well written uh, and really good and you know I really have not read much fiction at all. In the last ten years, and quite mm-hmm. honestly, I don't read a ton. I feel like I've always got a book that I'm working on, but I take forever to to get through it. I can usually only read about ten pages at night, and I just get super tired and fall right asleep. So I'm like ten pages a night. So it takes me a really long time to get through a book, and oftentimes I'll lose interest and stop reading it altogether. But I'm going to finish this one. I really like it, and honestly, it you know, not to get too self reflective, but I feel like I'm on record in talking about how I don't really think there are that many great movies out there anymore. I think that there's probably Mm -hmm. a ton of really good books. I think that you can learn pretty much everything you need to know about life by reading the right books and get a tremendous amount of pleasure and entertainment. And if I could change anything about myself, I really wish I would read more books because it's just a really, I think, to me, if you're not reading books pretty regularly, you're kind of missing out on a great part of life. I I really do feel that way. And, And again, having said that, I don't read nearly enough. So, you know, it's hard for me to really motivate to just start just reading a ton. I used to read a lot more, but I'm trying my hardest just to stay with it and not give up on books and just, you know, and read a breadth of subjects because there's so much great writing out there, both you know, so there's so many classic books, or there's books from 10 years ago that are great, and there's and there's great books coming out all the time every year as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I like like you, I like to kind of jump around topics, and sometimes I have a harder time getting through the nonfictions, whether it's a biography um, or or something else like that. But I, I had recently um, last summer read Shoe Dog, which was the uh, the one about Phil Knight and yep. the building of the Nike Empire, which was was very intriguing um i also read uh like i, I like some some I, I don't know if you've ever read any paulo Coelho, but uh read no. the alchemist on my vacation i've heard which is a kind I've of a heard, little, I mean, they, little they more about that life. A and, movie right oh did they i don't know i, I haven't did. seen i i'm not aware I've maybe been, they have but, but I've um certainly heard of the book. but i mean that's more about life and philosophy and then you know there's there's the kind of like spy and intrigue fiction stuff but yeah read a breadth of uh of of topics and uh, and genres and like I I also feel like it really helps me with uh, just and this is my, maybe it sounds crazy with my overall attention and um, you know I think so often we are, are even in our jobs like trained to be multitasking all the time and have multiple things happening all the time and I kind of like the singular focus mm-hmm. that reading requires and I think it kind of is important to keep your brain trained to be able to do that and focus on one thing at one time and not. Um, you know, have a million things, uh, you know, uh, an AirPod in your ear while your cell phone's in the other hand and, and what have you.
0: It is a very unique thing to be reading. I mean, it obviously it happens much more so in fiction than nonfiction, but even in nonfiction, you know, you don't, you weren't there. You weren't, you know, if you're reading a uh, an Abraham Lincoln biography, you obviously have no idea what it was lo- really like to be there. And so you sort of, the, 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 the sensation of creating a picture in your mind based on the words that one man or woman wrote is really an interesting kind of thing in life. You know, you don't really mm-hmm. get that in Absolutely. any other way. You, you watch a movie, it's kind of there for you. I mean, you, there are some things that are left unsaid. There's a, you know, your imagination has to fill in the gaps. But I think that's the thing that's so unique two books and reading, and it's really so wonderful, is you just sort of craft this imagery in your head, and whatever that imagery is, is unique to you. I mean, another person, you know, you and I could read the same book, and the vision that we have of this place, or, or this character, or whatever, you know, the type of clothes that they're wearing, or whatever it is, it's going to be different from me to you, and I, I just think that that's kind of the mm-hmm. really cool and wonderful thing about
1: it. And do you? Uh, and I'll be interested. I mean, I don't. I don't have kids yet. But do you read any longer form books with your kids yet? And not like just kind of the nighttime variety. And and if so, are there certain ones that you're going to kind of lean towards that you think?
0: Yeah, great topic. I mean, we read. I, my wife and I tr- we read to our kids literally every single night, um, multiple books, mm-hmm. and they love it. And I just think it's a great exercise for for both me and for the kids. Uh, to your question, we're just now starting to do that. Um, my older son yeah. Kyle, I gave him do you remember the author Matthew Christopher, who wrote like sports. Love
1: Matt Christopher yeah. books. Yes. Okay. The Catcher with the Glass Arm, The Kid right. Who Only Hit Homers, yes. Football Fugitive. Yeah, I love those books.
0: All of that. So for Kyle's fifth birthday, I had the idea to give him a couple Matt Christopher books. He's really into books and he's really into sports. And I guess the Matt Christopher Bucks, i kind of jumped the gun a little bit. I think they're designed more for like eight, eight to twelve-year-olds. But uh, Kyle's into it. Like he, I, he, I've been reading him a chapter a night the last probably two weeks of that's these awesome. two books that I gave yeah. him. And you know, there's no pictures, so that's uh, this is the first book I think he's ever had read to him without pictures. Mm-hmm. And I think that his attention. Does drift, and you know, I'll kind of when I notice he's not really paying attention, I'll kind of give him a quick pop quiz as to what's going on in the book
1: to try to help him <laughs> pay attention a little
0: more. But I think you know, the more chapters I read, the more he kind of gets it and and kind of knows what to expect and understands that he needs to pay attention, or else the whole thing is just going to be lost on him. So he's getting better at his pop quizzes, and I see him get more engaged, That's awesome. and, and he wants me to read a book every night. Now, I am looking forward to when they continue to grow. I think I'll read I think I'm going to go in just what you said and start to read more long form stuff, you know, whether it's Harry Potter or, you know, some of the more classic books, you know, whatever that is. But yeah, I'm totally going to do that as long as my kids want to. Uh and it's really I think a, a unique bonding experience between uh parent and kids. And I think that but again both parties. There's a lot to be gotten out of it for both parties.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I, I remember it as part of my childhood. I remember my dad reading me like the Lion, which the Lion, the Witch, and the that World was Grove. a good one. My uh, I remember my and then and even and a couple of the other uh, C.S. Lewis ones. Yeah, the Chronicles it, like, of Narnia, aspian and the Sil- Yeah, yeah, the all those in the series. I mean, I don't think I made it through all of them, but we read a bunch of those and really enjoyed it. And my brother was younger than me. He started to get into the Harry Potter uh, ones as well. And so, yeah, there's there's such a, there's such a whole a cool world out there of uh, whimsy and fantasy for, for kids that age growing up that's awesome to expose them to that you're not seeing through other forms of medium.
0: You are. And, uh, you know, I, I do wonder. I was – I wonder, like, you know, I would love to see a statistic as to, like, what percentage of parents read to their kids – 75% of the nights in a year. You know, I would be interested to find out mm-hmm. what that statistic is and 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 also compare it to 10, 15, 20 years ago as well. And I would be I I would imagine that exists.
1: I am going to have to I look bet it you up. you wouldn't now. like the results. Probably would. Yeah. But you can only do what you can. do Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit more iPad time now than there used to be. Totally. All
0: right. Well, we came, we saw, we conquered another show in the books. I enjoyed we it. We did it. I hope everybody else out there did as well. And, of course, I hope you did as well, too, Ryan. So uh, have a good week. You certainly uh, do. We'll see if we can conjure up enough sh- stuff to talk about next week.
1: Amen, brother. All
0: right. Good night, everybody. Sleep tight.
1: Good night, y'all.